reaching net zero emissions by 2050 seems out of reach in the absence of a major acceleration of clean energy technology innovations. India, as you know, is keenly looking at accelerating its entire innovation ecosystem and clean energy forms a major component in it. The startup ecosystem is challenging the status quo. It's audacious, ambitious, you know, it's trying to reimagine and transform the way we produce and consume and uh, not just energy, but anything. I just think we need, um, we probably need tens of companies, if not hundreds, of the size of BP and Shell just working on decarbonization. I believe that in a space like this, it's important for a company to keep disrupting not just the market, but also itself. I'm an optimist and I think uh, people might be thinking in a linear fashion, but a lot of these things happen non-linearly. So. The systems change in some of the sectors, such as mobility, is very palpable. Hi, this is Innovation Frontlines, a podcast by the International Energy Agency on the innovations and innovators that could help take us to a net zero emissions future. I'm Siddharth Singh, a consultant with the IA based in India, working on a range of issues that impact energy transitions. And I'm Simon Bennett, a technology analyst with the IA in Paris, leading work on energy innovation policy globally. In today's episode, we're delighted to have with us Savita Sudharan, the founder and CEO of Aurora Global, which is providing rural Indian businesses with reliable solar power and as a result, making clean energy-based jobs. Welcome, Savita. Thank you so much. So while we're eager to learn from our guest, let's first quickly delve into the challenge. In 2019, India achieved the historical landmark of reaching near-universal household and village connectivity to electricity, meaning that over 900 million citizens gained access to electrical connection. This could be, of course, in their households, but also in any commercial application and activity that they may be indulging in. However, power outages continue in a large part of the country. In some areas, such outages can last for several hours on a daily basis. Not only do such outages disrupt business activity, they also have contributed to the use of energy backup that is expensive and also harmful to human health. India already has disastrous levels of air pollution due to a range of contributory factors. Air pollution causes over a million premature deaths in India every single year. In the midst of all of this, the use of diesel generators for power backup and also the use of kerosene in low-income households further worsens the local air quality. As India's incomes grow, so will commercial activity. If consistent power supply is not made available, the use of such diesel generators will not only grow, but they'll also keep contributing to rising air pollution and also greenhouse gas emissions. A cleaner alternative is therefore important, especially in communities where distribution companies have no incentives to provide quality electricity, reliable supply, and also invest in power infrastructure. There's also a related developmental problem in India's context. While increasing number of Indians have witnessed economic growth, there continue to be various kinds of inequities in India's energy consumption levels, in particular in terms of interstate variances, uh, this could 
uh, be due to poverty. There could be a rural urban divide. Of course, there's divides based on gender, caste, and economic opportunity. So, for example, if we focus on gender a little bit, between 1990 and 2019, the female participation rate in India's workforce fell from 30% to 15%, even as the male participation rate remained largely constant at around 55%. In some states, there's a trend where men leave uh, agriculture to move to urban areas, uh, of course, pursuing economic opportunity, but they leave behind women and children who are exposed to poor energy choices and few educational opportunities. Deploying renewable energy quickly in such communities will help address aspects of such energy inequity. But doing so, of course, requires a sensitive knowledge of the local context. A solar panel on its own does not solve the problem, but it can provide cheaper and more of reliable electricity than diesel generators to power a sewing machine, fridge, and lighting it, of course. Uh, all of this providing higher salaries, new skills, and a way out of the cycle of poverty. Our guest today is working to provide solutions at the intersections of these spaces. Thank you, Siddharth. And the way that you've described this fascinating problem statement, I mean, it really sounds much more like a social challenge than one that you might find on a, a podcast like this about technology innovation. But I think that that in many ways would underplay the perceptiveness of uh, Savita, Aurora's CEO, in, in seeing the engineering angle to this. And I'm, I think Savita will tell us more about her engineering background and how that led her to the innovation that Aurora has, has brought to the market here. Um, but I'm going to try and describe it quickly, and then Savita can correct me afterwards if I get something wrong. It's centered around the Aurora Power Hub, and it's a product that combines solar photovoltaic panels with a battery, and it does so in a couple of innovative ways. First, it aims to balance two opposing factors that are in tension. One is the manufacturing benefits of following a modular design, and the other is the need to be able to configure the product differently in order for it to be effective in different applications. So what they're producing is you know, modules that can be customized in sizes that range from one and a half kilowatts to up to 10 kilowatts. Um, just for as an example of scale, a three kilowatt Aurora Power Hub can support around 10 uh, sewing machines with power, and that provides employment to around 20 gar uh, garment workers, for example. And then the backup battery that's involved in that is providing around four to six hours of storage to ensure reliability. But the interesting thing that I noticed here is that rather than use cheaper batteries like lead acid or nickel cadmium, they're actually using state-of-the-art lithium-ion phosphates, so-called LFP. And that's the same chemistry that in October 2021, Tesla announced it would be switching all of its Model 3 cars to. And when you look at the breakdown of electric vehicle sales, because of the popularity of LFP in China, it's found now in around a fifth of all of the electric cars sold um, in 2021. And in, interestingly, I guess for the, for the moment, it has the added benefit of not containing nickel, uh, the prices of which have been high and volatile this year, um, partly because of the large market share of Russian production. So let's summarize that. We're talking about a plug and play device that Aurora offers, uh, and it's designed for each use case, whether that's in garment manufacturing, a computer center, a cold storage unit, or a hospital. And although I haven't seen one in operation, I'm assuming that the design ethic for this focuses on simplicity, because the business model we're talking about is to train the users in the 
electronic aspects so that they can maximize the social benefits of the new power source, including uh, building the confidence of undereducated members of the rural labor force in India. I'm sure there are doubtless other considerations and innovations that Savita has had to take into account to successfully grow this company. Uh, I think I'm right in re referring to it as a for-profit social enterprise for low-income communities, uh, but maybe she'll tell us a little bit more about what that means in practice. Indeed, Simon. Uh, but first, I think we should hear from Savita, uh, especially on how we did in introducing her company and the challenge at large. So, Savita, did we do a reasonable job in, in this introduction? Uh, also, could you tell us a little bit more about the current state of operations? For example, you know, what does your current manufacturing capacity for power hubs look like? And how many people do you support in terms of employment in the country? Thank you so much uh, for the wonderful introduction and a great understanding uh, of the product uh, in detail. Um, so at a very high level, uh, Aurora's focus is to build um, climate resilient and sustainable communities globally. Uh, what I mean by that is uh, impacting people, planet, and profit. That is, how do you use renewable energy as a vehicle for technology innovation and create sustainable solutions for the people to stay within their own communities and not migrate into the neighboring cities, uh, earn a living within their own community, and try to uh, bring in profits both to the company as well as the communities. Uh, our focus in our programs have been built in such a way that we are bringing more uh, job and livelihood opportunities to women and youth within their own communities. So most of the work we are doing right now is in the area of Trichy uh, in India. And at this point, um, uh, we have trained 30 women in solar engineering and technology, and we have um, identified 1,000 women that need our Aurora Power Hub solution for garment manufacturing and are working to install the 50 Aurora Power Hubs that will support the 1,000 women. And just for those of us that are not fully familiar with Indian geography, Trichy is, is in the south of the country, is that right? That's right, uh, in Tamil Nadu, India. And Tamil Nadu is, of course, uh, a hub of commercial activity in the country. And uh, there's a lot of manufacturing works, but uh, I think uh, uh, rural Tamil Nadu has an economic dynamism of its own. So it's always good to hear of, of interesting applications that go beyond these industrial centers into especially rural India and into communities that perhaps need it most. But before we come back to drilling a little deeper into your experiences at Aurora, we'd like to learn a little bit more about you. So between your studies at IIT Madras and of course then later in the United States, what got you interested in clean energy in the first place? So we'd like to know a little bit more about your origin story in, in the sense of where did you grow up, what did you study, and what path did you take to become the founder of your company? Uh, and of course, uh, uh, relatedly, we'd also like to know, uh, what are you doing in the United States right now? If you asked me 10 years back if I would uh, become an entrepreneur, uh, it was nowhere in the uh, dreams of my career path. Um, going back uh, 
2001, I graduated from uh, Indian Institute of Technology, Madras, as an uh, electrical engineer. Um, I worked for a few years in the telecom space and then got interested in network processors and moved to United States uh, to do a master's in computer engineering at NC State. Then I went over to uh, the Lucent Lab spin-off uh, Aguirre Systems and worked uh, there as a chip architect, performance modeling engineer uh, for a while. So during my free time, uh, I wanted to give back to India and um, got to volunteer my time with an organization which was uh, doing projects in India. The idea was to run and uh, fundraise for these projects in India and support the developmental work. And um, what started as a small endeavor of doing a race of 5K and 10K to raise funds like uh, $2,000 eventually uh, got me very inspired and was ultimately running marathons and uh, ultra marathons of 50 miles to uh, raise funds like $75,000 for developmental project. Uh, that's when I realized that um, as much as uh, running was fun and I was giving back, uh, that was not the way to change India or uh, eliminate poverty. I particularly uh, got in accustomed with a community called uh, the Irula community uh, in Tamil Nadu and um, realized that they, they had a lot of challenges in their everyday life, trapped in the vicious circle of poverty uh, and uh, could not find solutions for day-to-day -day living, did not have reliable access to electricity, they had issues with health, good quality education, lack of access to electricity, and many others. And that's when I realized that I wanted to start with something really, really small and uh, wanted to uh, help solving one of the key issues. It could be related to water, it could be related to electricity, but I wanted to take one issue and solve the problem for the community. And that was my way of giving back rather than just uh, adopting uh, larger villages and trying to solve the problem. With that experience, I decided to uh, quit my job as uh, an engineer and start something on my own to focus on sustainable development and work on a sustainable business model to eliminate poverty. And that's when I went to Babson College, which is uh, known uh, for its entrepreneurship and particularly in entrepreneurship social enterprises and uh, became a part of uh, the Lewis Institute for Social Innovation at Babson College and started Aurora Global to um, build climate resilient and sustainable communities. So how difficult was that decision to, to quit full-time employment and, and pursue this uh, with, all of your, with all of your energy? And just to place us in time, when, in what year did you, uh, did you set up Aurora? So um, I uh, went to Babson College in 2012 to start my MBA um, and um, started Aurora Global when I graduated from Babson College in 2014. I The, the difficulty in starting um, a clean energy-based startup was really about being a women entrepreneur in clean energy, which was my biggest concern. 
given uh, that it's uh, such a male dominated industry but there was so much emphasis on women entrepreneurship and uh, clean energy and sustainability at Babson College with the energy club uh, which was called the BEEC or the Babson Energy and Environmental Club with all that support it was very easy to start a new enterprise and think of something um, creatively new and wild to uh, solve this problem of energy poverty but i guess there weren't many people there that were trying to fund their startup by running ultra marathons how many how many did you run uh, i have run uh, close to four ultra marathons so far wow. uh, before the sanity returned <laughs> <laughs> very impressive and how since 2014 I mean, the world has changed in many ways especially in our expectations around clean energy and and costs of things like solar so how has the company evolved uh, what is what have been some of the the changes in uh, in your in your outlook or your approach since then so uh, the magic words that i have uh, learned over the last 8 years is to go with bold innovation through entrepreneurial thinking and action. So when I first started Aurora Global, um, I was working on building solar lanterns and supplying it to rural communities there were, where there were no access to electricity, uh, that is the Irula communities. Right. But then what we found is that every November and December there are monsoon and floods in India and all the solar lanterns that we supplied uh, during the year got washed away in the floods at the end of the year and the solution was not sustainable at all and uh, one thing that I have learned um, over the last eight years is to be really bold with innovations and in renewable energy be it in the development of smart technologies or financial and market instruments or business model or engaging in new um, sectors across uh, energy systems, um, it's, it's completely fine to be innovative and try something new and um, scale it as a new form of uh, trying to build a sustainable business model. So in the following year, we, um, uh, we had the support of uh, T. Krishna Kumar, the CEO of Coca-Cola in India, okay. and uh, he helped us rebuild a whole village with low-cost sustainable solar homes and that was our first step to innovation and how did you make the connection with him i shared a lot of stories on my facebook um, uh, as i started the company uh, and uh, through social media they found out about our project the way that you've described that in the, uh, the benefits of being bold uh, is exactly what we like to hear from our interviewees on on this podcast but what would you say is your the, the boldest move that you that you took? What's the thing where you felt that this was the you know, a, a particularly big step in the story? The boldest innovation um, I have done so far, and uh, I felt uh, have been uh, I've been very successful is uh, to go into a rural community in Trichy, um, which has been impacted by climate change, and um, 
when the rivers are drying up, the agricultural income is lost. The men are moving to the cities. The women are being left behind and the women are looking for alternate sources of income. And I've been able to set up a all women uh, clean energy production center in Trichy with 30 women working. And these women can, uh, who had zero experience whatsoever um, in solar engineering can now produce solar streetlights and other products to make a living. And they've been with us for four years now. So Savita, what was your experience like in Trichy and in, in these communities where you were interacting? Importantly, how did they perceive a woman entrepreneur in this field? Did you receive a warm welcome? Was there skepticism? What were some of the challenges you you faced on accounts of you being this, you know, trailblazing woman entrepreneur, perhaps from from a very different context, coming into these communities and working with them? The biggest uh, challenge that I initially faced uh, with this idea is the trust of the community. Uh, we tried this in a couple of other communities, and uh, there was a huge uh, trust issue with the communities about someone from United States coming to India and trying to set up something new. Uh, what I found very inspiring in Trichy is the entrepreneurial community, uh, specifically uh, the entrepreneurship uh, attitude in the women in the community that really helped me. As soon as I landed there, they said we needed something where we can come to a particular center every day, work during the day and go back and we can earn a living. They did not want to go out mm. and do solar installations. Okay. So we had to set up something where the woman would come to the center, work at the center and um, go back home by four o'clock because they had families to go back to. And the only thing I knew was a possible solution was teaching these women uh, how to produce the product. And uh, within a week, they started learning how to make solar LED lights, solar-based lights, uh, LED lights. And uh, even with that basic experience, I figured out that given a regular income, these women could be taught to do any number, any different number of things in solar engineering. And these women who once thought that they had nothing to do with electricity or they would be electrocuted, went anywhere close to electronic gadgets, can now fix uh, refrigerators and televisions in their home and have shifted the uh, equation in their own societies. Power Hub product itself that I mentioned earlier, can you say a little bit about you know, where that was designed and where it's where, where you have the, the kind of the manufacturing and the supply chain for that? How have you organized it? Sure. So in this very community in Trichy, while some of the women worked on solar engineering and production of solar streetlights, there's a huge community of garment uh, manufacturers uh, that work in the area. They have basically skipped, picked up skills in garment manufacturing and are trying to make a living. But uh, they use the old school tailoring machines, which are very difficult and laborious to use. And um, with the market demand for garment production being uh, about 1,000 units per day, the women end up working till 4 a.m. the next morning to meet the loads. And that is not a sustainable way for women to work every day. 
for a whole year. So one of the options we looked at was building power-based sewing machines for these women, setting up hubs of 10 units um, for women to form a community and work together. But without the reliable access to electricity, they end up using diesel power, which is also very expensive and the generators are very noisy and the women still continue to work late hours to uh, meet their market demands. Hence, we had to um, come up with an innovative solution that can be installed on any community center where there needs to be reliable access to electricity. And that's when the idea of the Aurora Power Hub came up, uh, which is uh, basically a, a 1.5 kilowatt to 10 kilowatt solution that can be installed on any community center where there needs to be reliable access to electricity. Here, it's a garment manufacturing hub. We also installed it in um, girls' hostels uh, in Trichy. But really, the product can be used for any application where uh, energy need needs to be solved. And you're producing that off-site and shipping it in to, to Trichy or, or making it we locally? Have a, we have a production center in Bangalore in partnership with Teletech Technologies. And they uh, are a contract manufacturer. They help uh, design the product and are helping us with uh, scaling the production. Um, this year, we are looking at uh, producing 100 uh, Aurora Power Hubs. And by uh, 2025, we want to reach 500 uh, Aurora Power Hubs. So let me just switch the, the conversation a little bit, because we'd really like to also talk to you about uh, the all-important issue of raising capital. And and just as a, a first question on that, you know, what were the main challenges that you faced when trying to convince investors about your approach, which is you know, somewhere between a, a social enterprise and a, a tech startup? So um, the biggest challenge that I faced... Um, initially as a new entrepreneur is the right type of funding to get access to for different uh, purposes. And uh, what I have learned on the way uh, is that for new projects and interventions, grant financing is a good option. And for advanced levels, uh, project level finance is an option. So let me go a little uh, bit deeper into this. So funding for both startups and mature companies are targeted towards building new products, services, and entering new markets. So grants basically make it flexible uh, to build any of these new products for a new market and build it to be a commercially uh, viable company that can provide fit for the market products and services that are able to attract both customers and investors at a later stage. So for any initial innovation with products, services, and markets, go for grant funding. Once you have proved um, the product market fit and you're looking at scaling uh, to, like for example, once we have proved the garment manufacturing hub, Aurora Power Hub, uh, model, and we want to scale it up to 50 or 100 such units, project-level finance is a good way to do this uh, because it's basically a funding for 
long term uh, infrastructure development projects and um, the the debt uh, finance uh, or the project level finance basically can be paid back with cash flow that is generated from the projects so it's easier to take project finance um, uh, put in an in, put put take this as a loan to uh, prove the projects and generate cash flow into the model and this is a very tested method uh, to do this and it also uh, keeps the numbers of the balance sheet of the company so um, uh, project finance is a good way to scale up the projects and at the third level once you have multiple such installations or project level uh, financed projects um, to scale the company across countries or across markets you can think of bringing equity investors uh, to scale up the production of the solar products and things like that so these are the three levels of funding that i have learned are the best uh, way to fund scaling up of projects but you haven't taken on yet any equity investors i have not yet taken on any any equity investors uh, because we are currently in the stage where uh, we have taken uh, grants uh, to prove the model and we have 50 aurora power hubs that we are trying to install in um in trichy through project finance i'm very interested by the sensor because your insertion of project finance in between the grant stage and the equity stage is is not something that we hear commonly many uh, innovators i think feel pushed into taking uh, equity investors uh, quite soon after they've got a working prototype so it's interesting to hear that and typically when i think about grant financing i'm thinking about the public sector about governments and also maybe multilateral funders i know that you've had some support from the from the world bank but did you find that there was you know, the grants available at the right time for what you were trying to do and was that mostly in in india or overseas um so i have um had a mix of support with grant funding both from india uh, and uh, united states it's important to take uh, the right kind of funding at different stages of the company to enable you to grow a lot of innovation has happened uh, with the product and uh, and the market based uh, business model with grant funding coming from uh, entrepreneurial innovation ecosystems like aic sangam and um, uh, indian institute of uh, technology management alumni association so uh, it uh, basically gave us uh, it was a patient capital to help us figure out how we wanted to build a product for garment manufacturing hubs or how do we want to work in south india uh, to build a for profit company uh, to sustain ourselves so uh, these type of grant fundings that i have mostly received are have been from uh, entrepreneurial innovation communities that have supported us uh, to try something new which is a for profit model um, uh, in these um, uh, uh, emerging markets now um, we also had uh, support from world bank um, so world bank is tied up with the government of tamil nadu on a project called tamil nadu um, rural transformation project and they helped us with scaling of the project from producing 
uh, one unit to producing 15 to 20 units. And that's where they came in to help us uh, with scaling up. But uh, the limitation of... Uh, that we found was that uh, it only helped us to get 10 or 15 and we are looking mm. as a company to scale up to 100 such units and that's where we have to look at other forms of finance so savita i'd like to understand from you what some of the major challenges of the energy innovation ecosystem are so if there were ways to improve uh, the energy ecosystem itself what would be some of those measures that you would recommend? And I'd like a little bit more focus on how we can ensure there are more women innovators and entrepreneurs in this sector. Because like you, even we, when we started you know, uh, reaching out to entrepreneurs in this field, most of the entrepreneurs that we ran into were men. So how do we correct this imbalance? Oh, you know, we'd really like to hear from you, uh, perhaps a few concrete things that could be done in this field? Uh, that's a very important issue uh, that you bring up. And that's something that I'm very passionate about. The whole issue of women's access to and participation of women in the energy sector is the aspect of inequality in India. So economic progress in the recent decades have not been matched with the progress towards women's equal economic distribution. So if you look at the World Economic Forum, the Global Gender Gap Index in 2020 said that India was 112th out of 153 countries in equal opportunity for women and men. And um, this, and there are several challenges that, which, that lead to uh, such numbers. So if you look at it globally, there are 22% of women in the energy sector and 32% in the renewables. But if you look at India specifically, we are at 8% of women participation, and that's a really low number that, mean, need, that needs to change. Some of the challenges that um, the low labor force participation rate for women is because of the gender wage gap, then lack of safety policies and uh, flexible work arrangements for women um, in these areas. And what we need to do is basically create innovative um, solutions like what we have done, like the production center for women and make it a more um, uh, equal pay based opportunity for women uh, in the different sectors. So uh, having policies uh, in place which can enable this at a state level can actually help women uh, be more bold and enter the clean energy sector in a consistent fashion. So basically codifying these policies to provide a safe place for women to work, um, giving them accommodation, giving them good sanitation facilities, transportation, all this actually helps for equal opportunity. And these are some of the challenges that women have faced um, in India, particularly in the rural sector to enter the clean energy uh, uh, industry sector. I think those are some very important points and hopefully we'd be able to convert some of these ideas into actionable uh, interventions, uh, you know, especially in the rural areas, as, as you mentioned. Um, I think it also, Siddharth, just reinforces this idea of how broad energy and climate policy is when you lay out all of the interventions that, that can help 
make sure that we get clean energy into all the communities around the world that need it. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so Savita, based on you know that outlook of of what might be needed in the sector, and how do you see it evolving this decade to to twenty thirty? Where do you think we might be looking back from in eight years' time? So um, there's a lot of emphasis uh, that has been laid on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and um, emphasis on gender equality and affordable renewable energy. So it may be a good time with the COVID. One of the things that has happened is the energy sector has been um, impacted, and particularly investments to energy-based projects in rural areas has also been impacted because of the fear of not having regular cash flow back in projects. Mm. And this is something that needs to change if we want to uh, meet the demands of the clean energy sector that is coming up due to urbanization in 2030. So one of the suggestions is if um, if the policies and the the financial instruments that are being um, uh, given out by companies to help with uh, clean energy development can be um, enhanced uh, for the first few years so that we can have outcome or a faster outcome with like net zero emissions and uh, related outcomes uh, in the earlier years. And then we can slow down um, getting closer to 2030. But there needs to be increase in uh, the investment in the clean energy going um, towards 2030 to be able to achieve some of the net zero emission goals. And if you allow yourself to dream a little bit, you know, what share of the, you know, the garment manufacturing sector in, in Tamil Nadu do you think could be running on, on solar power and, and batteries by 2030? Uh, think about 85 to 90% can actually switch uh, to grid-connected clean energy. Um, it's a very enterprising community, and uh, there's a lot of scope for uh, growth in garment manufacturing. And if uh, one of the uh, good things about uh, a market like India is if it works for one, um, there will be a lot more people that will be adopt. So... Um, I just uh, I just think we need to allow that to happen and like you said uh, dream uh, wildly to uh, make that a reality. Yeah. Great. We love to conclude on a you know an optimistic note but you've also wrapped into it a policy recommendation as well which is perfect for innovation frontlines. But I'm just noticing we're running short on time. This conversation has, has really flown by and we've been so grateful to have had the chance to, to speak to you as a knowledgeable, courageous and inspirational innovator in this area. Um, but none of our guests managed to escape without being subjected to a set of rapid fire questions. And so if you could do us the favor of answering the following as concisely as possible, uh, we'll be very, very grateful. Uh, the first one is, will India get to net zero emissions before or after 2017? Like I said, uh, India has been bold and uh, uh, shown good results. And I think we definitely can get to net zero emissions by 2070 if we have uh, state level policies to uh, achieve net zero emissions. 
So by 2030, so over the next decade, who do you think will be your biggest competitor? This could either be a technology or an actual company. The space of clean energy access is really small. And um, all, the, all the people that I thought were competitors have become my funders now. So I think it's a very collaborative space and um, we all grow together. Yeah. Nice answer. And if it, if it were not for energy, what do you think you'd be working on? I would be working on women empowerment because that's my passion. And of course, running, uh, uh, which, uh, running and traveling the world, which seems to be a fun thing to do. Yeah. So Savita, in addition to the, the work that you already do, what do you think uh, could be a new type of product that uh, Aurora Global could be marketing in the year 2030? There is a lack of products that are being built to help uh, um, uh, automate things for women empowerment and um, uh, I think we would be working on innovations in the renewable and technology front to enable that to happen on a global scale not just in India but at a global scale Great and if you could collaborate with one company in India or frankly anywhere in the world today in order to scale up your operations which one would you choose? Uh, it has been our dream to partner up with Tata Power for many years, and uh, we are very happy to have the support of Tata Power to help us uh, scale across India. And as far as the global level is concerned, I think we need new innovative solutions and an entrepreneurial mindset. So um, I'm going to go with Babson College, uh, uh, which is an alma mater of mine, uh, which has helped me build innovative solutions and uh, make the uh, reality of more women in clean energy uh, an actual reality. Excellent. Excellent. That was really good. Well done. Yeah, and one thing that I was interested in from looking at your Power Hub is why it was that you actually chose to go with a, a more expensive lithium-ion battery solution than some of the other battery options like lead acid that are so common on the market in India? Uh, like you mentioned, we uh, ended up going with the lithium ferrophosphate battery, which is used in electrical vehicles. The reason for that is um, in the earlier stage of the company, we went with um, uh, lead acid batteries and we found that it was really bulky to work uh, with these uh, solutions in the rural sector. And we wanted something compact and modular um, which could be charged and discharged multiple number of times. And um, uh, the lithium ferrophosphate battery allows for a lot more uh, recharge cycles uh, compared to um, uh, the lead acid battery. And uh, so in the earlier stage uh, of uh, the product development, when we use the lanterns and the home lighting system, uh, we use the lead uh, acid battery and we had a lot more uh, recalls uh, from the project site and uh, we had to innovate on that front as well and hence decided to go with the lithium ferrophosphate battery um, that is used in the Aurora power hub. Uh, now we hardly get uh, recalls um, uh, from the project site uh, with this new battery and uh, this is going to help us scale faster. Uh, into uh, multiple markets. So so interesting to hear that it's not just about the, you know, the, the classic uh, economic cost 
uh, calculations here. Thank you, Savita, for sharing your experiences with us. Uh, we wish you the very best of success in your initiatives to accelerate the clean energy transition. Th thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Siddharth, uh, for having me uh, at the IEA podcast and sharing my experience of uh, uh, women entrepreneurship in the clean energy sector. Uh, it would be great to see many more women enter the clean energy sector and um, bring uh, more solutions uh, to solve the problem of climate crisis that's happening in emerging market and uh, take this as an entrepreneurial opportunity uh, to uh, build sustainable communities globally. So thank you so much, uh, Simon and Siddharth, for having me with you at the session. Thank you very much. Thank you. And goodbye. Thank you so much here. You have been listening to a conversation with Savita Sudharan, the founder and CEO of Aurora Global Inc. Subscribe to Innovation Frontlines and the IEA's Everything Energy podcasts and look out for the next episode in this series on how India's clean energy entrepreneurs are identifying untapped potential for technology to drive energy transitions globally and teaching us about new policy challenges to be overcome. You've been listening to Innovation Frontlines, a podcast by the International Energy Agency on the innovators and innovations that can take India and indeed the world to a net zero emissions future. Our next episodes will feature in-depth conversations with India's most promising innovators working on this global challenge.